Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. Welcome to episode nine of our podcast. <laughs> it's called the Bomb Shelter, where we watch uh, what are accepted to be bad films, discuss them at length. My name is Max. On the other side, you have my uh, great co-host. His name is Pat. How yeah. are you, Pat? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I've done better, but I've also done worse, so I'm doing okay. How about you, Max? I'm I'm doing good. I, I'm just back from a trip. It was a very nice trip. Uh, uh, traveling, no no drug tripping going on over here at the moment, which, or which I think is good. It, I initially thought you were gonna say like, yeah, I like stepped on a curb wrong and I fell. That was I had a nice trip. I had a See nice trip. Arguably, most times when that kind of trip happens, not a nice thing. Would not a nice agree? thing to happen in general. Yeah, I mm. agree. It's a it's a bad thing to happen generally. I just wanted to see if it was indeed a nice trip that you had. And I did. And I did. Yeah. So before <laughs> we get into this week's uh, feature presentation, which I must say, yes. I think uh, I think our 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 listeners truly, I mean, they went out there. This this is yeah. this, this was absolutely insane. I'm I'm so excited to is talk it? about this. Uh so before we get wow. into it, just a quick reminder, uh please everyone, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Maybe tell a friend. Yes. How about we do this? Tell a friend about the podcast this week so that we can yeah. grow this out. Yes. Get more people in, get more people voting for films eventually. And, you know what? Some money. Uh, well, you said the quiet part out loud. Yes. Anyway, the people voted this week, and my God, <laughs> did they vote! I am. I, I was so excited, yeah. man. This this film completely opened my eyes to something that I hadn't really thought of in a while. I really. I don't know. Uh, I guess that's what we get for putting something like truly artsy art cinema was on the poll last week. And the people art, delivered art, art cinema, sure, yeah, yes, yes, art cinema. And I, I think this this our feature presentation this week uh, is the movie Crash. And the I think the central question it's a very very weird question uh, that it poses is Have you ever wanted to fuck a car crash? And after watching this film, my answer was honestly maybe. What? I mean, yeah. here's the thing. This movie, the movie we're talking about does feature a car crash, but not the attractive kind. Or the, What do you the, mean? The sexually Oh, it's just, it, it's a car crash and it's very harrowing. And it's, well, and it's no, not there, like a there, big... are, there are many crashes in, wait, hold on. Okay. So the, the, our audience, and I'm, last week you said you wouldn't undercut the instruments of democracy, Pat, and I feel like you are right now. Our audience voted for the 1996 right. film Crash, directed by David Cronenberg, didn't they? I think I think they voted for the 2005 movie Crash, directed by Paul Higgins. Oh my! Did they? Fuck. Yeah. Oh no. I'm pretty sure that's that's what it is. <sighs> did I? Oh my god. <sighs> well, <laughs> I'm. I must have overestimated our audience. Oh man. He, here's the thing. I'm. I'm very sorry that you. Um, because you were very excited. I could tell you were very excited 
to talk about an artsy movie, and instead we have to talk about this infamous, infamous movie. Um, I'm I'm I very guess sorry. David Cronenberg's Crash isn't really infamous. No, I think it isn't. I think it. I think it, to be infamous, you have to be a kind of mediocre movie that wins Best Picture instead of an excellent movie by Ang Lee called Brokeback Mountain. I think that's what makes you infamous. Um, make a David Cronenberg movie is just weird. Two thousands Crash is infamous for sure. Uh, David Cronenberg's yes Crash. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't call it infamous either. So yeah, maybe I should have known. I should. I should have known better than to um, think so highly of our audience. Yeah, maybe. Uh, also, here's the thing: three <laughs> weeks in a row, we've been like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna change the category at the top for like the most infamous bad movies." And we did. I believe we did like Mac and Me, and then we were like, "No, we're gonna replace this with The Last Airbender." People are gonna vote for the King Arthur one or whatever. And then we had to do Last Airbender, and we're like, "No, we have to." do a slightly more obscure movie in this category so we can pick something else. And we put in 2006's Crash, which I know a lot of people are very ambivalent towards. I know a couple of people that are very positive towards it. And we're like, they're obviously going to pick the more famous alternatives that are in the in the list. No, they didn't. They picked Crash. They picked the worst movie out of the list for the third week in a row. And, uh, and I believe, and the thing, I, I thought believe... they picked a 1996 art film. Yes, but also a, a 1996 a classic. I I assume um, the 1996 David Cronenberg classic Crash. I do not believe is in the list of movies that we can talk about on this show because uh, it's not generally accepted to be bad. However, no. I will say. Have you ever listened to the podcast Films to be Buried with with Brett Goldstein? No, but it does sound a lot of fun. Like I've I've saw seen that. I also listened to the podcast How Did This Get Made, which is very fun. Yeah. Fun podcasts all around. Podcasts are so, fun. We should you should listen to them more often if you don't. <laughs> so in Films to be Buried with, Brett Goldstein asks all his first time guests, what is the sexiest sure. film you've ever seen? And then after they answer that question, he asks them, "Yeah, well, the, the subcategory is uh, troubling boners wearing white ons. What is a film <laughs> that aroused you and you're not sure it should have? And yeah. David Cronenberg's Crash, I think it's, it's erotic on purpose, but it's also, you know, it's about people who fetishize car crashes. So I oh, think it falls okay. in. It fall yeah, that's that's why the question I asked. That's myself interesting. Was, I, would, would you want to fuck a car crash? And when you said the, when you said do you want to fuck a car crash, immediately I was like, is he talking about the Pandor winning Titan? Because that's also a movie about <laughs> people having sex with motorized vehicles. Um Yeah, yeah it, it, it continued the tradition the tradition started by David Cronenberg in the late nineties. Yeah. <laughs> In the late 90s, all the way to 2021. Um, Max, as much as it is painful for you, clearly, um, I believe you thought this was David Cronenberg's crash out of some utter disdain for 2006's crash. But we have, or 2004, I don't know what the date is. Mid to, you know, I, I might have diluted myself into thinking that. I think the <laughs> Oscar winning crash is either 2003 or 2004. It's 
post Lord of the Rings, and that's when the Oscars started to go down. Um, it's also post some Shakespeare films that might have influenced. <laughs> well, yeah, it's some films that might have influenced the structure. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, Amores Perros, which I mean, th there's a straight line that you can point yeah. there. Alejandro Iñárritu has said as much. But, I mean, if you if you steal in a way that is stylish and good, then no one cares that you're stealing. So, Yeah. So, here's the thing. Uh, before we get into the plot, before we get into... Because we, we have to do a lot of, like, juggling for the plot because we have to go. And at the same time this happening, this is happening. Mm. Uh, yeah. I guess let's start with broad thoughts. And I'll start just by saying I think this is a well-intentioned yet mediocre movie that is unfairly well not unfairly because it's not really the movie's fault it's unfairly maligned because it won best picture instead of brokeback mountain which is a wonderful movie do you agree on that do you agree that brokeback mountain is a wonderful movie oh absolutely i agree with that uh i have yeah. some backstory with this film that i uh, jokingly oh. hinted at it last episode where in two oh yeah because this 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 thing settings. you just did it's not a bit the the david cronenberg crash thing is not a bit it's re it's a real thing that you did to yourself <laughs> during the during the course of last week i uh deluded myself into not having to re-watch crash even though i, I did yeah. because this is this is our job <laughs> for this show sure um so I think it was 11th grade English class and then a fourth or fifth semester college class. Uh-huh. Uh, 11th grade English was we watched the movie together, you know, in the classroom and then discussed afterwards because we were talking about racism during a space of two months where I remember a couple of classmates of mine held a presentation on reverse racism which uh, uh, i don't want to get deeper oh. into it i, I, I just, I, I, I just remember, oh my god i just remember being shocked at oh, what was yeah. happening um yeah i can imagine and <laughs> that's crazy dude what i remember about uh, my viewing experience in 11th grade i started to develop a sense of taste when it came to films that I liked. At this point, for example, I had seen Hot Fuzz, which is the movie that's inspired me the most and uh, the movie that I love the most in this world, even though I don't think it's the best movie ever. Yeah, uh, sure. And I, yeah, exactly. I, Zombieland was another one that sort of uh, inspired me, 21 Jump Street. So the, it's it's a certain genre of films that inspired me. And based on that, I started going to the cinema a lot more. And then you Intelligent throw... comedies from the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s. Exactly. Is the, then is you... the sweet spot for good old Max Elbeck. Exactly. And then you put Crash in front of me. And <laughs> some of my classmates are laughing for the right reasons. Some of them are laughing for the wrong reasons. And... During the discussion afterwards, I almost stayed completely silent, which was concerning to my teacher because I was a very talky person in English class. 
but I was just in shock at what I had seen and how bad I felt that it truly was and how much I felt like my time had been wasted for yeah. several hours. Even though this movie is under two hours long, I felt that I had lost yeah, it's at least 10 hours of my life. Yeah. And then later on in uh, college, I don't know why. It was a class where we had to watch like five to six movies a week, two to three of them in, in theaters and the, obviously the rest of them at home. Yeah. And I don't remember the context where we had to rewatch. Well, for some of, for some people, it was their first watch of Crash. For me, it was a rewatch. Yeah. And I got into a bit of a fight with the lecturer over some themes about yeah. us, uh, the exposure of personal bias. That whether you like it or yeah. not, uh, Oscar-winning Crash does sort of expose. And about how Brokeback Mountain is a much superior film, which this lecturer uh, disagreed with me on. And that was interesting. But I also think yeah. I got into the good graces of the lecturer because I uh, straight up questioned him to his face. And that that's, you know, there's a difference. That's the difference between college and high school. Yeah, that's the big old difference. Um, I, I think I was at the same class. We didn't really know each other then. I think I was in the same class. Um, and it was my first watch of Crash. I had never mm. watched Crash. I had heard how, like, of course I'd heard of the legends that it was so terrible. One of the worst things ever made because it, and, and it was mostly after the Brokeback Mountain Oscars thing that that kind of news sort of started popping up because I started to look like, where does this come from? And this movie, ever since it came out in the mid-2000s, it's been, a, like, aggressively talked over and analyzed by cultural critics and by movie critics and by revisionists and by... And it's always, like, in the conversation whenever a huge racial issue happens in the U.S. So I was surprised to learn how surprisingly... Sorry for using the word surprisingly... Or surprising more than once in the same sentence. It was just I just found it very average and just it I found it to be a a dude's first movie and I found it to be just this very like a series of unfiltered, very superficial boomer thoughts, which is what yeah. makes it similar to Green Book in my book. <laughs> in the sense that it's like it's a good like social consciousness movie for like boomers for like older people to look at be like this is bad what's happening on screen is bad in real life and we can just go good job boomers the bad part is that it came like 20 years too late like if this came out in like 1996 instead of 2006 i don't know if it came out in 2006 or 2004 or whatever if this had come out in the early 90s late 80s this would be a revolutionary movie about in in like form and in the way that it's like structured and stuff like like people will be like oh okay. my god this you know what i mean like uh, of course right, this is the, the same the same way that they made us watch birth of a nation in class and yeah college, exactly where it's it's a it's a it's we a would have to watch shit and fuck that movie but yeah 
they're showing we would you, have oh, to watch this. crash no ed edit editing and this and that is done for the first time okay i yeah see. i understand what but you also mean. this but just socially like how many 80s movies can you think of that are like people in la suck <laughs> like every like we're all why do we all hate each other like imagine in the 80s when like america was awesome you know what i mean like in movies at least I don't. I America was never awesome. It was founded founded on an, on the bedrock of slavery. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah come true. at me, America. Um, yeah. <laughs> come at me, slave industry from four hundred years ago. Um, yeah. To me, this movie is just like it's a well intentioned movie. It's a it's made by a guy that's clearly like I'm gonna try and like say something. But the something is never really clear beyond like mm -mm. racism is bad, which is the same problem Green Book has, and which is why like those are two very average mediocre movies that won Best Picture over far superior films, in this case Brokeback Mountain and Roma respectively. Um, but yeah. I think Max, we need to get into good stuff, and I name well, I could name a couple of things because again I I don't think this is terrible or bad. I think this is just very aggressively mid-tier in terms of it's low in terms of the oscar movies it's low in terms of like movies that have won best picture but it's like a very whatever movie to me so if you want because you told me you have again this is before your fuke state episode of confusing this movie for david cronenberg's crash but do you have any good stuff to actually say about this movie oh if you're just tuning in we're talking about the oscar winning <laughs> crash which is about a series of people. You have police officers, you have criminals, you have uh, a black couple, you have a white couple. Am I forgetting? Oh, and you have immigrant store owners, uh, Pakistani, if I remember Persian. correctly. Persian. Persian. Persian, sorry. Persian store owners. And you have a... Uh, Latino locksmith yeah. and their lives get intertwined in seemingly uh, convoluted ways for <laughs> seemingly convoluted hours or like actually we, convoluted well when you break it down to, to the gist of it it's <laughs> it's quite easy if you work under the assumption that LA is like five blocks long and so Everyone just keeps bumping into each other in this small yeah. village of a, of a place. <laughs> um, the lives get intertwined and the common thread that keeps connecting this group of uh, people played by oh, very high caliber actors in a couple of oh, cases. Oh, very talented actors, yes. Is racial bias or systemic racial issues, I would say. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what how else to describe the movie. Like the plot of the movie is very hard to pin down because it is like several parallel storylines that are occurring at the same. Well, not parallel, but like sometimes they are like tangentially touching each other and stuff like that. Yeah. And like the car that two people steal belongs to a character that is also having like issues with race and then their locksmith uh, interferes in the storyline of another person and then that person also interferes in another per like it's a lot of that kind of stuff 
which is which is like a, a fun way to structure a story, I guess. But it's Max, a it's yep. a bit of a web structure. It's a bit of a web, web structure. It's it's a web that is as massive as the city of L.A. and as badly structured as the <laughs> as the street system of L.A., which is why there's traffic all the time. Uh, yeah, Max. L.A. not walkable. I'm a big walker. Not, L.A. not a walkable city. Not In terms walkable, of positive, not bussable, not bussable either, as far as not, I understand. Not a not a comfortable you, you, place to move you, around in. You need you need to watch your mouth, sir. Not not bussable. What the fuck do you mean? It's not busing. <laughs> Dear God. LA? All right. Not busing. So positives about this film. Yeah. I would say that one of um one of the stylistic elements that I like most about the craft of filmmaking yeah. is a good match cut. What do I oh, mean when sure. I say match cut? Yes, explain it perhaps, to the initiated. Perhaps when you cut from the end of a sequence to the start of the next sequence, the characters are blocked in the same way. Perhaps you have a sound match through a door closing and or opening. Yes, I think I know perhaps what you're going to say. Perhaps yeah. you have a character moving out of a sequence into another and the editing makes it feel almost seamless. In in uh, my first short film, I put a bunch of match cuts in because I really like them. Yeah. So I, I can't deny that I, I, have, I have respect for people who, you know, do match cuts and do them well. Um, undoubtedly, this film was cast with uh, very, very capable people. I uh, saw a name in the opening credits, Sarah Holly Finn, which if if you're not familiar with Hollywood casting people, that might not mean anything to you. But she has been taking care of casting yeah. the MCU's project for a very long time now. Oh, that's why it's so well cast, because this has this has an excellent cast, I will say. Exactly. There you go. There is some uh, that's my first positive really is just the performances there's a lot of them there's a lot of them that are very like stereotypical and like they're clearly leaning into like simpsons level racial caricatures but there's some storylines in this and i'll talk about this later that are actually compelling and would make for a very fun movie like the storyline about detective waters played by don Cheadle. i want to watch that movie i want to watch michael pena's movie i want to watch Terrence Howard and Dandy Newton's movie, like there. I the, I don't want. I don't really want to watch that that movie specifically. Maybe maybe honest. not. But I I like I like the idea of like a like the. Oh, what's the name of that guy? Uh, Matt Tyler, Dillon. Like a, a ty, like a Tyler Perry ish character. Oh, oh. Dealing okay. with like the fact that he has to cater to white people and stuff. That's a that's an interesting well, concept to me. I'm I'm gonna get distracted very easily. Let oh. me tell you about a documentary from the '60s, I believe. Yes. Let Let me look up the name very, very, very quickly. There's a documentary, okay. very, very interesting, on the topic yeah. that I I was just recommended, and I I, I watched and I thought fascinated. It was a fascinating exercise and in, in sort of the power of filmmaking, and oh. you could argue that this is sort of the first uh, piece of what we what came to be known as reality television, 
But this oh, documentary, what? okay, found it. It's called What are you about to Symbiopsychotoxoplasm. Okay? Oh. <laughs> Symbiopsychotoxoplasm. It's from 1968. It was directed by William Graves and uh it was recommended by uh fantastic director Justin Simeon on the Films to be Buried with podcast. I had a yeah. look. It's uh fascinating, it's really funny and it's also incredibly uncomfortable yeah uh, and so yeah that 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 type of experience that terence howard's character has in the film crash it's it's basically that blown up to the max and uh given the fact that this is a documentary and real people are saying some of the stuff is uh daunting and fascinating yeah. at, at the same time so yeah Symbiopsychotoxoplasm. You should check that out. Okay, I'll check it out. Uh, but back to the topic at hand, which is the Oscar-winning crash, <laughs> not David Cronenberg's crash. Yeah, the performances are great. And it's got, again, as we said, high-caliber actors. Um, the roles that are the meatiest really are that of the like the police officer and stuff like that. Like the more, like slightly nuanced characters like detective waters and the i mean the best performance in this is matt dillon as the racist cop really and uh maybe maybe like in a very sub like subtle way Cheadle and michael pena to me um so my favorite performance is michael pena in this film yeah probably michael yeah. pena yeah very sweet very very the, that's that part of the movie is actually very moving when he's just talking to his daughter and like trying to reassure her that their neighborhood na neighborhood that their neighborhood is a safe place um yeah that's that's very moving that's very like pretty and beautiful and like i read this quote about it because i read reviews like old reviews from when it okay from when this movie came out like beyond the filter of like this movie won best picture instead of brokeback mountain i tried to look for reviews from when the movie came out and there was a quote that i really enjoyed that says this movie is full of heart but it's devoid of life i don't remember who said the quote but i but that's kind of what my opinion on this movie is it's like it's a bunch of sentiment really it's a bunch of sentiment wrapped up in the pretension of we're trying to say something but you're not really saying anything and i don't know if this is because of the laziness of the filmmaker i don't want to accuse the filmmaker I, and slash screenwriter of being a lazy fella. No, but maybe you just, you just uh, what what I think more. what I think happened here. So this this is directed by Paul Haggis, who I think is Canadian, and yes. co-written by him and uh, I've forgotten his name. Two white men. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> get it? Yeah. And there's a couple of instances specifically where I can pinpoint. Oh. They don't this was get written it. By a white dude. Yeah. <laughs> this is written by by a white person. Uh, yeah. One of the one of the points of wait before I go on, on this rant. Uh, do you have anything more nice to say about? Um, yeah, I think so. I have the performances. I have um, the fact that it does have a lot of narratives, or it has a lot of like tangentially touching storylines they are handled in a way that is surprisingly understandable and easy to decipher and like yes the connections between all of them are contrived 
but by the end of the movie you're like oh in this little version of la that the person has built i can understand how stuff happens where the motivations sort of come from like i like it's it's well managed in like a directorial sense when it's where it's not well managed is like the individual storylines and the messaging which we'll get to that um yeah because and, uh, barely any of the characters to me anyway feel like humans yeah they feel they're <laughs> cartoons they're caricatures part of it i will get into my issues with the movie later um and it's also breezy can you remember a time when movies were a little over two hours a little under two hours nowadays unthinkable unthinkable max well, everything is three to four hours long for no reason depends on what what would go what what is released in theaters yeah it depends on what is released in theaters but like everything is three to four hours long it's like you can just make a an hour and a half movie that i can enjoy and it's fine you know like i'm i'm okay everyone's gonna be okay with this decision if you make it but like i'd Probably. rather you gave me a shot to like pee you know what i mean do you does it is it a, is it a truly a problem when a movie is longer than two and a half hours do do you get the it, it depends on the movie but like um there's no there's no, no. Movies what i mean that... specifically is 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 uh in terms of bodily function like oh can, can you I sit mean, still for over two and a half hours without having to go out and pee if if at the beginning of the movie you're already like i need to pee then holding it for two and something hours is just a recipe for a UTI, man. That's that's not good for anybody. Um, sure. Yeah, but if but if like halfway through the movie or even like forty, well, no, if it's like two and a half hours, it'd have to be like eighty minutes in. You start feeling like the gurgling in your bladder or whatever. Then you're like, I mean, well, I can just hang on for another eighty minutes. It's okay. Um, I, I've never had a, thank God, I've never had a UTI. So this gurgling in, in the bladder feeling that you describe, never felt it, ever. <laughs> That's not, I don't mean that in the sense of a UTI, but I mean it in the sense of like, oh, I need to pee. Um, but back to I see. back to the movie Crash uh, by Paul I've Hagg never had to pee David as well, so wouldn't know. <laughs> I, you, you never pee. I've never peed in my life. Um, let's go back to Paul Haggis's crash instead of David Cronenberg's crash. Uh, let's go into bad stuff. Um, okay. I think, and that this is just me again. I think this is a very average movie. Um, it's a very superficial movie, not just in the way you treat racism, but in the way you treat characters because you have way too many characters and you kind of, because of the nature of the movie, you treat them like, they're caricatures instead of caricatures actual... and mouthpieces for the the writer's opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the cop character, you get like a couple of inklings of his character, um, and it's a character that gets a redemption arc that feels that feels a little incom not a little that feels incomplete. Unearned. Because he, I would you argue, see him. You see him molest a woman. And then the Sexual, rest of the movie is like... Sexually harass a woman uh, whilst uh, conducting an unjustified search. Yeah. Exactly. So the entire movie, his storyline is like, oh, he may be a racist and a misogynist who believes that affirmative action robbed his dad of actual good health care. That's right. Um, not He may be that, but he also 
deserves all your sympathy because his dad is sick and also because he saved the woman's life the the life of the woman he molested by the way because what are the chances he what saves, are the chances la is he five saves streets this long victims he saves his own victim's life so now she's forced to be in a position where she owes her life to a person who molested her and this movie thinks that it's being somehow poetic um transgressive which is a weird, or yeah if you gave me two hours of this man just like a movie about officer ryan maybe you would given yourself enough time and enough like space for the character to re reflect on what he did wrong instead of just us being like oh this cop risked his life to save this woman it's like so this cop did his job um and i would saving argue a woman as well he molested. a a version certainly not like to the letter of the same character a version of this racist cop character appears in Martin McDonough's Three Billboards yes. Outside of Ebbing, exactly, Missouri. Exactly, yeah. A version he, of him, yeah. He, he's, he's a racist and a dumb piece of shit. But by the end yeah. of the film, they have given him a story that sort of, yeah. uh, well, makes it come full circle for him. Regardless, uh... Let, let me get into the thing that upsets me the most. Because <laughs> yeah, it, you go. I, it's, I don't know if it's hypocritical or ironic or yeah, moronic sure. or whatever you want to call it. Speak um, it plain, child. <laughs> so there are, there's a character played by <laughs> Ludacris in this film. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is a carjacker along with... Uh, Don Cheadle's little brother. Don Cheadle's little brother, Officer Young Watson's Cheadle. little brother, yeah. Let's and call him Little Cheadle. I'm not going to do that. So the brother puts on rap music in the car, and Ludacris, out of all the actors you could have chosen to say this, yeah. calls rap music music of the oppressor because yeah. it has, well, rap songs have you know n-words in them yeah of course and i remember having to explain to my college lecturer why um you know <laughs> black people say that word uh yeah the history of having reappropriated the term also the character says repeated the so right? much in 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 rap oh yeah ludicrous Lu the character of ludicrous says the n-word in the movie so this it makes is, no sense. This is, a, you know, a, pro, this probably is a white writer who heard rap music on the radio once and doesn't understand the complex history of the <laughs> yeah. use of the N-word and just went, why would they call themselves that? And I think it's an argument that's sort of in line. Well, he proceeds to say, we used to have great songwriters in the 70s but now yeah. look at this shit this is awful music of the oppressor <laughs> it's sort of in line with yeah. an argument style that people in high political positions mostly old people use where they say protests yeah. used to be so civilized look at martin luther king back in the day he made <laughs> yeah, the yeah, biggest yeah, yeah. peaceful protest and change was made look at these people nowadays you know, rioting in the streets when yeah. protests were always Grandpa transgressive stuff. 
and always, you know, controversial and heavily politicized. You know, yeah, this is sort of a similar argument style. And the fact they yeah. they had Ludacris deliver those lines. Yeah, the fact that they did Ludacris, they did Ludacris would, would you real say dirty. Hyp- hypocritical, ironic, moronic. Oh, it's all of the so, above. It's moronic. It's so all weird. Of the above. It's so weird, and like tone deaf in a way to like. Granted, do you not you know, know who Ludacris is? Might not be Ludacris might not be the most political artist in his music. I'm not <laughs> an expert in his music. Oh, you mean a featured artist on Justin Bieber's baby, Ludacris? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Again, his his back catalog, in his back catalog, he might have some fantastic uh, political call-to-action songs. I don't know. But Ludacris is from Atlanta, and some of the, you know, best political rappers, if you could call them that, I think calling that is a disservice, but for the sake of this thought exercise, Ludacris yeah. must be aware of, you know, the rap scene in Atlanta, his surroundings, and the political songs that some of his contemporaries have watched, and yet he is made to deliver this brief diatribe about music of the <laughs> oppressor down the yeah. barrel of the camera. I'm not. I'm not saying uh, Ludacris was coerced into doing this at no point. Maybe he enjoyed delivering that monologue. Yeah, it just, maybe he did. It sounds like really, a BD thing. Really, really wrong with me, who is a big fan of rap music and has done his absolute best to be informed about the cultural context that it grew out of. We will say we're also two white dudes. So yeah. maybe this doesn't mean the most coming from us. No. But we but as two like avid rap fans and also I'm Mexican, so I guess that makes me the more <laughs> a little bit more more diverse than the normal white person. There you um, go. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I I that's a thing in this movie. This movie thinks that's a that's a thing that I wrote down. It says, "I think this movie thinks racism is about yelling at each other." Or a personality trait, like an undesirable personality trait, and mm. not systems that are hundreds of years old and involved books being right written, um, indigenous people driven from their lands, systems that benefit white men of a certain religion. Um, yeah, I think this movie is more like, no, man, like racism is such a fragile thing in the human psyche that in the case of Sandra Bullock, it can be cured. By falling down the stairs, that's or how. Or in the case of how, Matt Dillon, the solution, it can be cured man. by having a sick dad. It can be cured by ha- It can be justified <laughs> by having a sick dad. There and you it go. can be cured by rescuing your molestation victim. That's that's mm. what happens in this movie. That's what. That's happens. what this movie is trying to tell you. Yeah, this, they're the fact. Extremely sorry. Go ahead. The fact that the, that this movie focuses so much on Sandra Bullock's character. Which is, by the way, that story, that entire storyline, cut it from the movie. Inconsequential. Just, just her yelling at her, at her housekeeper, and also at the locksmith, and also at everybody else, and then her racism is cured by her falling down the stairs and having her, uh, let's say Hispanic, Latin ex. I hate saying Latin ex. 
Latina housekeeper. Um, it's it's so ridiculous that this is like, oh, this lady was racist until she fell down the stairs and got like Stockholm syndromed by like she got phantom threaded. She got phantom threaded by her housekeeper. That's what happens in this movie. Sure. So there's 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 a very very harsh contrast. Keith yeah. David, shout out to Keith David, is yeah, in the movie very David. very briefly, and I think he's supposed to be. We don't learn what his position is, but he's a higher ranking officer of the LAPD. Yeah, and he explains. He sort of hints at the fact that he worked really hard to get to the position where he was to change things. And that yeah. he found that he couldn't change the system. That's yeah, really yeah, yeah. that's really interesting and is not followed up on at all. What is followed up on is Sean Toop's character, who coincidentally pl- he played the best character in last week's uh, feature presentation in the Last Airbender. Yeah, yeah, here, yeah. yeah. He, he's here. Uh, <laughs> he plays uh, a Persian. What we would, what we would today call is. is a a a Persian, but let's be real, his his behavior feels more white. Uh, he 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 plays <laughs> a a stubborn dumb boomer. Yeah, yeah. That well, his stupidity is what ends up driving the plot forward in a sense. And his, it's this very very harsh. His character is very weird. Just like this guy was willing to murder somebody. Like this guy oh, was yeah. like, this guy went to Michael Pena's house to shoot him in the face, like shoot him dead. And he's redeemed by a, by like a failure in his gun. He's redeemed no by, by the by fact, the fact that his gun by the fact that his daughter knew that dad is a bit a bit of an irrational asshole. He will go shoot someone if I buy him actual bullets. So I'll just buy blanks. Oh my god! Yes, that's yeah, right. Because early he's, early in the in early in the film, the gun shop owner, you know, after arguing with uh, this old stupid dad character. The daughter sticks around and she <laughs> yeah. points to a box and the gun store owner says, you know what those are, right? And then later in the movie, they show you that there are blanks. But this reaction is sort of justified by the, you know what those are, right? So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, so this character is redeemed by the fact that his daughter brought blanks. So it's like, oh, he didn't murder a little girl. Look at what a good person he is. <laughs> Look at what a good person he is by not murdering somebody. He pulled the trigger. Like, he's a murderer. He's a murdering bastard. But he he's didn't actually bastard. kill anybody. He's a murderous I f- bastard. I think there are a couple of elements that might have helped this movie during its Oscar bid. And the inclusion of gun by Chekhov. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah of course. Of, uh, sure. of Chekhov's gun and it being, you know, a literal gun. It's a literal Chekhov's it. gun. <laughs> it's a literal. Exactly. It's it's Chekhov's blank bullet. That's what it is, I think. Um, There's. I have, uh, do Do you remember Cinema Sins? Oh, I oh, I love Cinema Sins. They're the best. I, I I like it as well. I just find it weird that people confuse it with actual film criticism. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's part legit film criticism, part comedy channel. That's what it is. I I just would like argue honest it's, trailers. It's a, a nitpicky. Like like I would I would argue CinemaSense it's full nitpicking. 
Oh, it is. And jokes. 100%. Because, like, leg- legitimate criticism, I don't believe. Whatever. No. Nah. There's there's this uh, bit that they do sometimes where, you know, they say the title of the movie and you go, roll credits. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you got that in the first three minutes. Yeah. When uh, We crash Officer into Watson, each other. It's like... <laughs> exactly. Officer Watson's uh, brief monologue at the top, which really is the end of the story. Yeah. Um... So, I have a note here. It says, uh, the movie kind of works for me. To me, it kind of works. There's, like, a weird mid-2000s, like, innocent, like, I don't know what I'm doing sort of charm to it. Uh, it shouldn't work, oblivious but it does. Instead of innocent, it, yeah, oblivious. I would say. Sh- oblivious. Here I, have a, here I have a note. It says, it shouldn't work, but it does, although not for the right reasons. The actors and the editing do a lot of the work the script is supposed to do, in order for us to connect with some of the characters, particularly Michael Pena's character for me. It's like, well, he's a locksmith trying to make it in L.A. with his daughter. Like, it's a very sweet, sweet little storyline that is interrupted by this, like, infuriating character that comes in and tries to murder him and almost murders his daughter if it weren't for there being blanks in his gun. Another Um, aspect, when it comes to Michael Pena's character, another beautiful part of this uh, discussion that I had with my college lecturer. He said yeah. to me, well, I mean, you can tell he's a former gang member and that's that, that backstory sort of informs what happens to him later. And I go, why? Why is he a former gang member? And then my lecturer went, come on. I mean, you can just tell. No, what? I can't. Yeah. What? No, I can't. Why, why, is, why is this person a gang member? Because of what the racist character said about him? Yeah, exactly. Because of what Sandra Bullock says about him, yeah, and she goes she, on this one, what, like what, huge rant at the of, beginning. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she calls she one says, of his uh, tattoos a prison tattoo. Yeah, he's like with his pants around his ass. He's gonna sell our key to one of his homies, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a final like serious note, and the rest is like, um, oh, I have two serious notes. One of them, uh, monotone score. Uh, the score is very monotone. It yeah. the entire movie sounds like the scenes from Gladiator where Russell Crowe is petting, pensively petting wheat in his in the in his mind's eye. Um, and then That's my other serious really note comparison. is that yeah, exactly. Uh, it's there's a problem that this movie has. It has a bunch of problems. I'll say it in random notes in a sec. Um, multiple characters function as secondary characters even though they're supposed to be like our pov characters like the anthony and peter story as far as like racism and the racism story is concerned like it starts with them being like oh this woman like acted racist towards us and we're gonna steal her car um then they run over a little asian man with it and that asian man turns out he owns a van and the van is full of cambodian human trafficking victims. Yes. However, the main theme of the story is like the racist undertones and that particular story only serves Detective Waters's story, like Don Cheadle's story because Anthony Ludacris's character is traveling with Don Cheadle's little brother. So they're treated as like secondary characters in the bigger storyline, which is like, I think there are three main threads in this movie one of them is the detective water story the other one is the police officer that molests a person and then we have to cheer for him when he rescues the person he molested 
And then the third one is probably the Sandra Bullock one for no reason. Um, no, it's, I, well, it's it's Ryan Phillippe, I think. He he gets he oh, gets yeah, more. Ryan he gets a bigger chunk, yeah. a bigger share. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Phillippe. So it's three cops. It's three cops of varying levels of racism. Um, the most interesting one, easily for me, is the Don Cheadle story. The only part with any actual subtlety and his relationship with his mom is weird. His relationship with his partner is weird. Uh, not weird in the sense that it's bad, but weird in the sense of like interesting and something you could develop more in a movie, like a noir, gritty noir about this guy who gets disowned by his mom because his little brother dies at the hands of Ryan Philippe. At the hands of the, a guy who has a re- the face of a hardened police officer, doesn't he? He, he, looks, he looks like sure. an adult Ryan Philippe in the mid-2000s. <laughs> okay, um, I understand what you're going for. Uh, yeah, it's to me again. I hate this movie, so why would I say anything <laughs> nice about it? Yeah, it feel the storylines feel like a series of bad faith arguments laid out by oblivious people. Yeah, now, sure. You don't you don't have to sympathize with a racist, but what if the racist had a nice dad? Well, or uh, my dad. personal biases are these. But what if a black guy walked into your car? You know, got into your car. You yeah. see what I mean? It's a, it's a I like Terrence of- Howard's story just in the sense of like his masculinity and his racial identity has been attacked by his wife in a sense. So when Ludacris and and Little Cheetle come up and steal his car, he immediately buzzes out of the car and starts beating the shit out of both of them. I, yeah. I started laughing so bad. Cause, and, then, and then later, the, like, he's about to get arrested. He's like, what? What? what he's like that Chappelle show character from like mm. the keeping it real sketches where he's in just like a boardroom and people are like uh and a dude like his boss speaks in jive to him and he just starts barking at them like he's dmx he's just like hey get your hands on me ow, ow! like he's just like and he gets fired he gets sent to the gas station but it just gave me that sense of like he doesn't feel like black enough or like enough of like a man so when his masculinity or his blackness is challenged he immediately goes like hey hey like he immediately goes like to an 11 and it i found it very funny and it reminded me of a Chappelle show sketch so points to you paul haggis canadian man paul haggis um no I points have, from my end i'm sorry all i have is random notes left i have well you want to do random then, notes then, and then, then, then let me do let me do my two random notes that i have left which are Two reasons that this movie might have sort of, you know, gotten the edge in the Oscar race. One of them is the montage of all the characters thinking real hard. Yeah, that's that's a good montage. We get twice. Good thinking montage, yeah. And then, uh, oh yeah, one of the human trafficking victims that at the end of the story is sort of just released onto the street by Ludacris' character walks into a video store and sort of stares at the walls and is sort of, you know, evoking the power of movies. Yeah, and, of course. That's an you know, Oscar thing. voters used to and still kind of do really like self-congratulatory. This is what we are. This is what we made. Look at what we can achieve through the art of cinema, which you know, it's, it's justified to an extent, but yeah. You know, Max, having a character either you... stare, having a character staring into a video store or looking at a screen with a projector next to them. They've become cliches at this point is what I mean. Yeah. 
So, which one is more egregious? A re one. In this movie, a recently freed Cambodian human trafficking victim is admiring the power of cinema. Mm. Or, in The Shape of Water, an amphibian creature from Peru is sitting in a movie theater appreciating the power of cinema. Which one of them is more egregious? I would say they're equally as egregious. <laughs> they're ex equally except, egregious? Except that The Shape of Water, beyond the sequence, is a really good film. Oh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, yeah. So I have my random notes here. Uh, the opening credits, aggressively mid-2000s. Just the most yeah, mid-2000s opening credits. The the font, the <laughs> the little effects, like the bouquet light effects. Very 2006, 2004, whatever. Um, Sandra Bullock's character should be cut out of this movie because she's basically a yelling racist lady cartoon. Yeah, she's she's, she's a Karen. She's a, she was she's a Karen before Karens were a thing. Yeah, she's a Karen before Karens were a thing, which is why I don't find her to be entertaining or like compelling. Um, yeah, the cop is redeemable. He molested someone. His arc is incomplete. Um, there's some weird ass camera work in here. Weird ass camera work at some points in this movie where it's like clearly in the middle of a shot. They're just adjusting the the, the camera. Very clear, like, there's a scene in, like, when they're at the insurance claimant's office where, like, there's a shot of the insurance agent and then the camera okay. just, like, adjusts a little bit to the right. And it's like, how many times does that happen in the movie? And I could count, like, three or four and I'm like, I should not be able to see this. Damn. Um, uh, the intro to Ludacris and Lil Cheadle is straight out of a Key and Peele sketch. Just, like, two dudes complaining. Or, like, one dude being like, Man, racism sucks. It's so bad. Like, I can't believe that this white lady is looking at us and immediately hugging her husband closer. Well, let's steal her car. <laughs> like, immediately, like, the fact that two of them are just like, oh, so we're going to steal this car? Yeah, we're going to steal this car. Like, it's, I feel like he and Peel have done that at a sketch somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's that sequence by itself. You know, it's one of those sort of bad faith arguments played out as a story. Um, uh, I have another note. Uh. So, there's a dude in a chop shop that says no to a bloody, yet high-caliber, like, van that belongs to a district attorney or whatever, but is, That's however, true. willing to buy uh, a bunch of Cambodian human, human trafficking immigrants. Yeah, he goes on this whole diatribe about how he doesn't want to be on the Discovery Channel because, like, he's going to buy this, this, like, suburban <laughs> full of blood. But he's, he, but he's like salivating almost when he looks at all these Cambodian people. Just like I'm gonna give you, please let me give you five hundred for them. I'll give you the van too. Like he's like it's so weird, right? It's so strange. Incredibly strange. Very yeah. I mean, he he. I mean, instead of the Discovery Channel, he end up on Crime Stompers or something like that. If he yeah. uh, if he goes through with the human trafficking in that particular regard. Yeah, um, the Peter and Anthony story, a.k.a. Little Cheadle and Ludacris story, mm -hmm. is very, could also be a movie, but it would have to have different themes. Just this idea of, like, two people stealing a car, which drives them, which, like, leads them to steal another car that is full of immigrants, and then one of them has to run away and gets picked up by a car. Like, like that's a chaotic movie, really. But it's all. But it sounds. It kind of sounds like Good Time or like a Safdie Brothers like anxiety-inducing drama. That could be a gimmicky movie by itself. Yes. 
that could be a gimmicky fun movie by itself yeah like a like a tarantino movie it kind of it would kind of be like kind of how like pulp fiction like this really interesting like vincent vega and jules story is in like interrupted by bruce willis having to free marcellus wallace from two like like fetish rapists like like oh, interrupted yeah. with that it's like very you know like that kind of weird stuff tarantino likes to do um uh, again ryan philippe looks like a 14 year old boy no matter what decade <laughs> i see him in he looks he looks Come he looks on. like a rook, like a fresh-faced rookie no matter what decade i see him in i saw a picture of him recently and it was like he looks the same how does he do like pe- more than paul rudd people should be looking at ryan philippe like Man, that guy did not age in like twenty years. It looks crazy. Um, looks really good. Shout out Ryan Philippe. Shout out to Ryan Philippe. Please give us your secrets. Um, the cure for racism is falling down the stairs, which is what I already mentioned. Uh, in terms of Sandra Bullock, and the final one, which is just a detail that really messed me up. Uh, so a lot of Americans are Baptist Christians, and therefore sure. do not believe in saints or that the Virgin Mary. Is like an actual holy figure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. However, okay. however, uh, the character of Peter, uh, Little Cheadle, yes. uh, when they're stealing a car, pulls out a statuette of Saint whoever, whoever, and I was like, wait, so is Peter? So is Peter Catholic? Like in a movie full of stereotypes, this little detail is very strange in particular, and kind of goes particular. against stereotype. It kind of goes against stereotype. Um, yeah, all of the all of the rants that Ludacris does, like, hey man, you know why I'm not gonna ride the bus? Because they, you know, you want to know why they build those big windows on buses? <laughs> and it's like, what? Okay, that entire rant's a little weird. All the dialogue in this movie is a little weird. Just like a lot of yelling, just a lot of weird stilted yelling. Um, and my final note, which is similar to the cops thing. Uh, so the two Korean people, like the Korean couple that traffics Cambodians. Yes. We're, su- we're supposed to care about them, right? We're supposed to care about them like, oh, they're reunited as a couple. They were both in like accidents and they're reunited in the no. hospital. And then later I, they I reveal think, that they I think you're supposed to go like, oh, this mattered as well. But it's, yeah. you know. But like in the sense of like, ah, that's adorable, and then they open the van and it's full of Cambodian immigrants, and you're like Cambodian human trafficking victims. And you're like, what? What is this? What are you doing to me, Crash? Well, the implication is that they help smuggle these people into the country. Oh, okay. Which, so they're not like we're gonna sell these people in Chinatown I th- or whatever. I think this is the implication. However, the the film does no effort to no none at all. It's it's based on my good faith, none of not on anything that the movie gives us. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Pete, like, uh, Roger Ebert called this the best movie of the year. And we all we all got our of, stinkers. We all got our stinkers, we, man. We all got our our weird opinion uh you know and this one is like i just find it to be very average maybe it's revisionism and maybe it's the fact that i've seen it twice and i saw it in the 2020s you know what i mean Mm. like i saw both times that i've seen this movie were in the 2020s post george floyd 
post insert mass shooting that happened in America here post whatever you want to like whatever incident or whatever tragedy befell like you know what I mean like it's a very like average movie and I'm like this doesn't actually address any of the problems it's just like racism is bad and it's a movie that just wants to be like hey I know racism is bad so clap for me and give me my Oscars and it's like okay sure I only just thought of this now. I'm looking online if Armand yeah. White reviewed Crash. Yeah. But I I I don't I can't find it right now. Maybe I'll just quickly uh yeah. I'll 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 look I'll look I'll look for it through the through the next week and then tell you about it next podcast. Um so Max, before we go into I mean, first of all, how would you fix this? Uh, make it a mini series, one episode each about yeah. the individual characters, and have people of color write it instead of uh, <laughs> yeah, sure, to white people. Can't really do any better than that. I would just focus on one of these stories. I would just focus on one of these stories, flesh it out. Not the Sandra Bullock one, because uh, it's just like it's a waste of Sandra Bullock and a waste of Brendan Fraser, and it's not something I really want to revisit. Um, just like. Make the Detective Waters movie, or make the Michael Pena movie, or make the Terrence Howard movie, or make make you can make or a movie the out of Anthony any, and Peter, or Anthony and Peter, or Ryan Philippe and how he stays so young. Um, just make a movie out of any of these singular elements because you don't give yourself enough time in two hours, roughly two hours, to do it effectively. Um, but before we go, Max, I think I think we've done this one pretty conclusively we had a little bit of a hiccup at the beginning because you thought of the wrong crash you, you in an attempt to protect yes, your fragile I, psyche from having to deal with this movie again i pretended to crash. confuse crash for a little joke yeah wait what that was a bit yeah we I planned it out before we started recording i was not we informed did. of this um max <laughs> before before we leave i just wanted to ask you a very serious question there's two crash named things from the mid 2000s and I wanted you to tell me which one was better. Either the movie Crash by Paul Haggis or the song Crash Into You by the Dave Matthews Band. Which one is better? Dave Matthews Band, easy. <laughs> Dave Matthews Band, easy? Okay, sure. That was an easy one. Um Max, where can people find you? Uh people can find me on Instagram at uh Masswer on Letterboxd at Masswer11. Those are the two social medias that I actually use. So these are the All ones the that social I'm giving medias. out. Uh, Pat, where can people find you? People can find me at Idiot on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, at Letterboxd, which is connected to my Twitter account. Um, and you can just, like, shout me out. You can just tell me I think you should leave quotes. You can just tell me... Little memes that you want me to know. Uh, you could just you could just holler at your boy, man. Just like I'm down to have a good time. Um, Max, before we go, before we say goodbye to our cherished audience who chose this movie for us, <laughs> um, not David Cronenberg's Crash, this Crash that we just talked about. Yeah. What movie should we replace this movie with in our weekly poll? Because it is, as you remember, famously bad movies. These are infamous, infamous. movies. Rotten to the core. Well, maybe not rotten to the core, but movies that are famous for being bad. 
Um, I have here uh, Suicide Squad, The Room, uh, the live-action Garfield movies, Cats, Wonder Woman 1984, Rise of Skywalker. What, what, what do you want to do for next week? What, what do you want to place in the poll for next week so we inevitably have to watch it and talk about it? Out of the ones you just named, Garfield sounded like the most appealing to me. The 90s Garfield live-action movies? Okay, we exactly. should just do that. And we should just do that so we have four choices that no one wants to talk about next for next week. Because uh, now the poll is... Oh, but are we doing both live-action Garfield movies or just the first one? Sure. Let, if if it wins, then this could be the first uh, Bomb Shelter double feature. Let's do a double feature. Let's do a... Let's do a Garfield marathon. Let's just let's just talk Bill Murray in a weird cat, like a Cheshire cat, Tim Burton sort of situation. Uh, so next week's poll is going to be the live action Garfield movies, Freddy Got Fingered, uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword by Guy Ritchie, and Plan V, the 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 slot that is occupied by either bad Mexican or German movies. Um, Correct. Yeah, man, that's going to be next week. Uh, I was shocked at how much at how like incredibly tepid i felt watching this movie but i really enjoyed talking about it with you as always i i had a great time doing this podcast uh nothing else to add just uh once again thank our (laughs) listeners uh subscribe to the bomb shelter on your podcast platform of preference And hopefully we'll hear each other again next week. Have a good week. Yes. Have a week. Have a week. Have a good one, uh, you two. And I hope everybody is having a good, bad time. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)